One of the movies that seems to come on TV this time of year is Home Alone. Uh, do you remember it? Starring the cute Macaulay Culkin. His crazy family leave him behind in the rush to make the airport for their Christmas holiday. And he's left at home uh, where he has all sorts of adventures on his own. It's a movie that reminds me a little of what happens here with the boy Jesus, home alone. It's the only story in any of the Gospels from Jesus' childhood. Mark and John begin their story with Jesus as an adult and then there's Matthew. Matthew jumps straight from him as a baby to an adult. But Luke chose to include one event from his childhood, this one. And his reason, I think, is to teach us about Jesus' father and about his home. Uh, But we're not talking about his earthly father and home. You see, even at this young age, Jesus realises he has another father, a heavenly father, and it's his family business he's going to follow in. Way back at the start of chapter 1, Luke, the author, tells us that he's carefully investigated all the events he's included. And it's most likely he spent some time talking to Mary, Jesus' mother. We're told at the end of today's story Mary had treasured these things up in her heart. And so it seems that when Luke came along years later doing research for his biography, this is one of the stories Mary tells. She probably also told Luke about the angel visit. Uh, Luke records that in uh, chapter 1 verse 26. And just one of the extraordinary things the angel had said to Mary was that her baby would be called the son of the Most High. This child would somehow be not just Mary's son but also God's son. And so it's likely Mary told that to Jesus as he grew up, all about that uh, message from the angel. However it happened, by the time he's 12, Jesus knows that God is his father in a very special way, a way that's different from the way other Jews thought about God. They would call God our father, in the sense that he was the father of every Jew uh, or the father of the whole nation. For example, Exodus 4.22, God says to Moses that Moses should say to Pharaoh, Israel is my firstborn son, let my son go so he can worship me. Deuteronomy 32.6, Moses himself rebukes Israel and says, Is this the way you repay the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father? your creator who made you and formed you. Uh, Or Isaiah 43, verse 6 and 7, uh, God speaks about bringing his sons and daughters back from exile. And so as they read their scriptures, Jews would think of God as the one who had brought their nation into existence Uh, and they understood him as father in that sense. But there was very little understanding of a personal relationship with God. But here we've got Jesus at 12 calling God my father in a way that's personal and intimate. And Mary had stored this particular story away because of what it said about his identity and about his mission, who he was and what he'd come to do. And so Luke includes it for us. Uh, Verse 41, it begins, the family heads off to Jerusalem for the Passover the same way they probably did every year. This was their regular family holy day. Uh, They're part of a group who travelled from the same area. They travelled down from Nazareth, south to Jerusalem, 
They travelled for company, they travelled for safety. They arrive at the temple, they celebrate the feast, we're not told anything about what happens during the feast, uh, but it jumps, the story jumps straight away to them travelling home. The group packs up, they head out of town. Well, not quite everybody goes. The women and the children seem like they're at one end of the convoy, the men and the older boys are travelling at the other end, and so Jesus, at 12, perhaps falls somewhere in between. Mary and Joseph seem to assume he's with the other group. The reality, of course, is with neither. He's been left behind, just like the movie. And they only realise it when they stop for the evening. They ask the relatives. They ask the neighbours. But nobody's seen him. And any parent who's lost a child knows that sinking feeling. So the next morning they travel back the way they've come. They stay the night back in Jerusalem again. Uh, I wonder how much sleep they got as they worried. Uh, The third day, bright and early, they start looking. Now my mother always said to me when I'd lose something, which I did quite a bit growing up, where do you last remember seeing it? The advice I give my children today. It's good advice. And So Mary, where do they last remember seeing Jesus? Back at the temple. That's where they head and that's where they find him. Uh, One commentator describes it this way, the Holy Family left the holiest part of the family back at the Holy of Holies. Uh, And when they find Jesus, like most parents, they're equal parts relieved and furious. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad I found you. You, I'm going to strangle you. Uh, Although, to be honest, verse 48 sounds like they're more on the upset than relieved. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, worried sick for the last two days, travelling halfway across Judah and back again. And they finally find him, and there he is, sitting among the teachers of the law, discussing the scriptures, making himself right at home as if nothing's happened. And they're not the only ones astonished because Jesus is not just listening and asking questions, perhaps what you'd expect from a 12-year-old, he's answering questions as well. Verse 47, And in his answers, those who hear him are amazed at his understanding. He's got wisdom beyond his years. Perhaps not surprising when we remember what God had promised about the Messiah through the prophet Isaiah. Back in Isaiah chapter 11, God promises a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And here we see Jesus bearing the fruit of that. This was a promise that God would give his spirit to his promised king so he'd have special wisdom and understanding. Even at 12, Jesus is reflecting that. In God's house, learning even more. And as Jesus answers his parents, we find out why he's there. They're Jesus' first recorded words, and so that makes them pretty significant. Verse 49, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Mary had said, Your father and I have been looking for you, but Jesus says, Well, I've got another father. Two fathers. Uh, but perhaps a fair bit different from any of the complicated step families we might 
see around us today. Two fathers, we know the background, the angel visit, the promise of a baby, even though Mary's a virgin, that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and she'd be with child. In a unique way, God would be his father. If we turn over the page to chapter 3, Luke gives us a nod to that parentage uh, when he traces Jesus' ancestry all the way back to Adam, the first human. Uh, He tells us in verse 23, uh, he begins with Jesus' father. Well, one of them anyway, and he describes Jesus this way. Jesus, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. So Jesus has two fathers, the earthly father who is looking for Jesus and his heavenly father who Jesus is looking to learn more about. Jesus says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It should be obvious. I'm my father's son. I need to be doing his things. Don't be surprised to find me here. I'm learning about him. But even then, his parents don't really get it. Verse 50. Probably doesn't help that Jesus' actual words are not quite as clear as our translation. A more literal translation says something like, don't you know that I must be in the things of my father? I must be in the things of my father. Now that could mean in the house of my father, but it could be more general. I must be about my father's business. I must be involved in the things of my father. The King James translation takes it that way, I must be about my father's business. I quite like that because it means more than just Jesus has to be in a certain place, he has to be immersed in the things of his father, in his plans, his purposes, his character, his way of doing things. His whole life is governed by the things of his father. And so that means his job at the moment is to be learning more about what that business involves. He's in exactly the right place. Lesson over, verse 51, the family heads home again. Uh, This time Mary and Joseph are keeping a closer eye on Jesus, I'm I'm imagining, especially as they try and understand what it means for Jesus to be in the things of his father. We're told that Mary treasured up those things in her heart. She stored them away as precious memories. That phrase is repeated. She did the same thing back when the shepherds had visited uh, the manger and the baby Jesus. Back in Bethlehem, chapter 2, verse 19, uh, the shepherds had told them about the army of angels singing praises to God for her little boy. And we read back there that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. See, Mary is not just treasuring them like memories in a photo album. Uh, She's treasuring them more like pieces of a puzzle, a puzzle that you can't solve all in one go. And so it seems like every so often as the years went on, as Jesus grew and as she learnt more about Jesus, she would bring those memories back out again and think some more about them and try and put the pieces together. Try to understand who this little boy is that she's raising. This little boy who on the one hand is the son of Joseph, so it was thought, but on the other hand the son of the Most High, God's son. 
this little boy who's learning to be God's agent, doing God's business. Who is this little boy? Who is this Jesus? It's the same question Luke wants us to ask. Who is he, son of the Most High God, come to bring salvation, come to reign over a never-ending kingdom? And in particular, who is this Jesus who's so full of wisdom and understanding from God's Spirit? Who even as a boy spoke of God as if he knew him personally? Because someone who knows God like that is worth listening to, is worth getting to know. Someone who gets living the the human life right. Jesus is someone who lives well, who, who gets God right, who knows him personally and who knows people and gets on well with people as well. Do you see how the section finishes? They went home to Nazareth. Jesus was obedient to his parents. So what does it mean to be about his father's business? Well, for a while anyway, it means being obedient to his parents, just like every other human. He's rightly connected to his heavenly father, but also rightly connected to his human parents as well. And verse 52 summarises Jesus' life between that age of 12 and the adult. He grew in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and men. There was a balance to his life. The human life lived well is a balanced one. It's about being connected horizontally to your fellow man and connected vertically to your creator. And we can learn from Jesus how to live like that, how to live wisely, how to relate to God and to each other. And surely as we think back on the year past and we look forward to a year ahead, it's a wisdom that we need. A world that in lots of places is full of confusion and fear, chaos of storms and floods and tsunamis and droughts and fires, pointless wars, mortgage stress, rising prices, increased economic and employment uncertainty, Many Australians feel hopeless and helpless in the face of all of that and they want answers, they want wisdom, they want understanding, they want to know how to live life well, Uh, life lived with insight and purpose and perspective. And here we've got Luke introducing us to someone who as God's unique son has his spirit of wisdom and understanding and so lives life well and then who calls us to follow him even at 12, living life well. But Luke, of course, doesn't stop there. If we keep reading, we jump over the uh, genealogy in chapter 3 and we get to chapter 4. Jesus is now a grown man who's living life well. Chapter 4, he resists temptation. He's living his life according to the word of God. He worships God alone. Chapter 5, He calls disciples to follow him and he teaches them a new set of priorities. He gives them God's heavenly agenda and sets them a purpose of catching men rather than fish. Chapter 6, he teaches them a different reality about the world, about a different kingdom, 
about God's kingdom. And he turns the world upside down and says that the poor are blessed because the kingdom of God is theirs. And he says when people curse you because of Jesus, you're actually blessed because your reward is great in heaven. That's wisdom. And then in 6.35 he teaches, love your enemies and turn the other cheek. That's the wisdom you need in the face of fear and persecution and death and hatred. Uh, And he continues in 6.35, those who follow that sort of wisdom, who love their enemies, he says, then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Now that's an extraordinary promise. Did you catch that? If you love your enemies your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. Because who else was a son of the Most High? Well, Jesus was. The angel Gabriel had promised that to Mary and Jesus himself had understood that as a 12-year-old. I'm the son of God, learning about my father's business. But here Jesus is saying that you can be a son as well as you follow my wisdom as you bear the family resemblance, you can be God's sons as well, as you love enemies. We actually imitate God when we love enemies. Jesus says, because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, be merciful just as your father is merciful. You see, wisdom recognises that God is doing that every day. He's loving his enemies to people who ignore him and who don't deserve it, who live in rebellion and independence from him. Every day God is giving them life and health, children and shelter and food and jobs and peace and rain and sun. He's giving it to his enemies as well as his children. And Jesus calls wise people to do the same, to love their enemies so that they too might be sons of the Most High when death and fear and uncertainty rattle us, choose for love instead. Wise people point their friends and their neighbours to God's wise son who gives us wisdom about how to live. He's the one with answers for life, answers for death, answers for how to make life work, to make it rich and real and right. Wise people follow God's wise son, Jesus. Make sure you're one of them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a small story. It uh, is a little cameo in, in Luke's big gospel. But we thank you for it. We thank you for what it teaches us about Jesus, uh, about his nature, his agenda, We pray that we might learn from him, that you would pour on us your spirit of wisdom and understanding to help us to follow Jesus, that we might be sons of yours. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.